Man, as we are uh, confronted with so many things in the world of, uh, from disease and viruses and violence and narcissism and greed and, and a lot of other things, as the church, as the baptized people of God, we confront all of those things with faith and courage and wisdom and bravery. The church was launched by Jesus to be a force in the world, and this is what we still are, a force for good, for healing, for wholeness. So we promote that. We pray for it. That's what we want. I'm launching a new series today. It's going to go for about nine weeks called Renew. It's whole, no, whole idea of like what it means to crave life, embrace life, that Jesus wants to give new life. And, and I know the way this works sometimes is we think this is a great idea. And we all, I, I think hopefully we know that there's an ultimate renewal that is coming to all of us where all things will be made right for all the people of God. And hopefully we know that Jesus also wants to bring some renewal now, like in the present. So for some of you, what, like you're craving renewal, but it seems like it is so far in the future. You can't reach it and it's not coming close to you. And the way it works for some of you is you want renewal right now in your life, a new life and fresh life and a good life. Uh, but your past keeps clawing its way into your present, keeping you from, from being able to take hold of that renewal. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. Now, I just want to lay a foundation with this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It's my go-to a lot of times. I go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 as a way to center me, reorient me. If I've, if I've lost my way or I've hit a wall, 2 Corinthians 5 is a great place for you to go. So I'm going to move through this kind of quickly, but encourage you to spend a little time in this this week. And even as we read through this, and you're going to see four to five slides up on the screen. Some of you are going to be looking at your Bibles in front of you, that there's, there are going to be some words and phrases that may take hold of your heart and let God have his way with you through this. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us, right? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Jesus died for all. Jesus went all in. And now Jesus is asking you to live for him, the one who died for you. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view that we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. And I love verse 17. Highlight this if you don't have it highlighted in your Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. It's not around anymore. It's gone. The new is here. Verse 18, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has entrusted something to us. He has given us. God's called us into partnership. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us, entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This isn't just to ministers or pastors or priests. This is to the church, that God is making an appeal through you, that this week in your life, right here in Memphis and beyond, God wants to make an appeal to the world about the goodness of Jesus through his church, through you, that his making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And for the reading of the word, the whole church said, amen. amen. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new has come. 
uh, Henry Nowen talks about in our spiritual lives a lot of times, especially this time of year, February, March, there, there's this clash for most of us. And I mean, some people who live like close to the equator up in Alaska, maybe not, but there's, there's this clash between winter and springtime around this, around this time. Which one's going to win? And even last week, we experienced 27 degrees and 65 degrees. And some of you have lived in places where you experience like 20 degrees and 75 degrees on the same day for like weeks around this time every year where what's going to win? I remember back in 2014, in January 2014, I spoke at an event in Orlando when it was 75 degrees. And three days later, I was in the northernmost part of Alaska working on a project, a book project. And it was negative 65 degrees, a difference of over 130 degrees I experienced within three days. And there's this clash between winter and spring and winter where it can be dark and cold and then spring where there's new life and you can see it around you and the sun is shining. And in in our spiritual lives, a lot of times there's this clash, winter and spring. I encourage you last week, they have five Sundays in March. I encourage you to invite someone, just invite a friend to come with you to church. And I'll also let you know on April 12th, it's Easter Sunday, we're going to have a baptism Sunday here in this church. We've had a couple of these And if you feel the need or the call to to be baptized before April 12th, we're not going to make you wait until April 12th. But if you need to put a date on your calendar and circle it because there's a decision you you need to make and something you need to work toward on Easter Sunday, we're praying toward this. And if you were interested in baptism because you can't have new life if you don't go through the water, then I want you to just fill out a card today, shoot me an email, call the office, and we would love to be on that journey with you. And for the whole church, I want you to be praying toward this day for new life to be on leashed upon this church and beyond this place the new life will come so some of you last Wednesday made a commitment to enter into a season of Lent for Casey and I this is something we've honored now for 18 years as we've led up to Easter Sunday and this is a way for us to reflect on the things in our lives that need to change as we approach Easter Sunday which is this day that we celebrate every day in our lives those of us who know Jesus but as we as we want to live as new people and free people it's a journey we've been on and some of you've made this commitment to go through the next six weeks of your life and if there's anything I can pray for you as you go through these next six weeks email me call me don't come by my house, but email me or call me and just reach out in some way. I would, I would love to be there for you however I can. As we walk through this journey up to Easter, where we celebrate new life and want to move forward with God in that new life. I said this on Wednesday night. We had a special worship service here, and I believe this to the core of who I am. Be a mature Christian and never honor the, honor the season of Lent your entire life. Heaven's going to be full of people who didn't honor Lent, who never went through it, who barely knew what it meant, who, who didn't know anything about Lent. But here's what I also believe to the core of who I am, that you cannot be a mature Christian if you don't have seasons, intentional, focused, serious seasons in your life of reflection and examination. It can't happen. Uh, Scott Peck, this uh, author, once wrote, and he said, examination of the world without is never as personally painful as examination of the world within. Yet when one is dedicated to the truth, this pain seems relatively unimportant. I love that quote. It was back in 2013. I told you a story about this event in my life. I was in the process of writing my first book, and I had booked a trip to get away for a few days to go and write. There's a prayer house in a city 
in, in the Midwest, and there's been around-the-clock prayer in this prayer house that holds about 900 people, and around the clock, since 1999, there's been prayer in this place. And I had other people encourage me, and they said, hey, a lot of times people go there to pray, but a lot of times authors will go there to write just to be in the presence of God and with other people who are crying out to God, so why don't you go? So I booked a trip to go and write for three days to finish a manuscript. So I paid for the flight, I got a hotel, I didn't get the insurance because I'm cheap like that. And about a month before this trip was supposed to happen, I finished a manuscript. So I wasn't going to go. I was going to back out of the trip. And Casey, my wife, came to me and Casey said, I think you should go. And I said, baby, I don't need to. There's plenty of stuff to do at Sycamore View and in Memphis. And she said, why don't you go and just, the, the trip's paid for. Why don't you go and just spend three days in prayer with God? And, and I didn't really want to. And then she, she said, and I, and I think I heard this in a different way than how she said it. But what I heard her say was, you could really use some time with Jesus. And, and, and I didn't really like the way it came across and from her heart. And I think I probably got really defensive. And, and, and we probably got in a little fight and a little squabble about it. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I'm fine. And there have been a few times in the 18 years of our marriage where Casey has told me, and this has only happened a few times, where she's like, I don't really like the edge that's in your life right now. Like, you come home and there's this attitude that you have, and like, you really need to center yourself again. I don't really like who you're becoming, and, and I don't like, I could probably get defensive every time, but I need that in my life. So I, I, I followed through what Casey said, and I went up to, to this prayer house. And for three days, I had no agenda but to be before God. And I walked into this place of prayer, and I took with me one prayer Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is anything offensive in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. And I just prayed this for a few hours, over hundreds of times. I just prayed this. And, and I've shared this before. A lot of times it takes me praying something with my mouth to, to get into my head. And then I need that journey from my thoughts in my head to make it to my heart. And, and after a few hours, I had been praying this. And I just sensed God speaking to my heart, speaking to my spirit and say, Josh, I need you to keep praying this prayer because you really have no clue what you're asking for right now. And then God began to reveal some things in my life that I did not even know were there. Some insecurities and some brokenness. And then God started peeling off these layers and revealing. And it was like I put my hands up like, okay, God, stop. Let's just deal with one thing at a time. That's enough. And it was like the Lord was like, there's so much more I want to do with you. Do you trust that I can unpack some of this in order to get you to a better place? For a day and a half as I sat in this room for hours a day praying before God. It was like God was just dismantling my life and revealing these things that, that needed the change where there had to be some transformation. And then by the last day, God began putting me back together because ultimately God has our best interests in mind and wants to lead us to a healthier place. So I went on this journey of what it was like to try to live into new life and into freedom. And any kind of new life begins in the dark, right? I mean, for any human being, any new life, it begins in the dark. It begins nine months in a womb. It, for, for plants and animals, it begins in the dark. The whole pruning process before something becomes a fruit, it takes cutting, it takes pressure. So even for plants, they feel like they're going to die just for new fruit to come to life. This is, this is how it often is. And yet I think we're here today, hopefully able to pray prayers that, God, we want new life and fresh life that can only come from you. So the next seven weeks, here's what the journey's gonna look like. 
And I just want to give you an idea of every week. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to walk us through the last week of the life of Jesus where Jesus does different things with each one of these themes. Just in the last week of his life, you see how Jesus values these. So today I'm going to talk for a few minutes after I, after I go through this about just the gift of confession. And I, and I want you to be able to leave today seeing that confession is not something that you have to go into a booth to do. And a confession is not something that God wants to use to like fill your life with guilt and shame. Confession is a gift. And I want you to, when you think about confession, I want you to think about confession as something that is wrapped in the mercy of God. God's idea to help renew us. Next week I want to talk about what it means to value time. Uh, we live in a time when 20 plus years ago, time management was so good, but now time management doesn't even help us anymore because there's so many distractions in our lives. Like how do you manage something when you have something in your pocket that's constantly vibrating and trying to get your attention? I want to talk about time. And then I want to follow that up talking about simplicity. And then on the 22nd, I want to talk about I want to talk about human relationships and betrayal and hatred and, and not that anyone here deals with any of that. I just want to unpack because Jesus had this the last week of his life all the way up through the cross. Jesus experienced this. I want to talk about wealth and materialism and how Jesus talks about that. And then leading up to Easter, I want to talk about the significance of the cross and the significance of the empty tomb. So this is the journey we're going to be on for the next seven weeks. And you can already look up there and you can probably think, yeah, that's a Sunday I definitely need to be here. And that's a Sunday I probably want to miss. And that's a Sunday I want to invite people who've angered me in my life. And I want them to be a sycamore view to hear that sermon. But I'm not going to go that day because I don't want to hear it, but they need to hear it. And it gives us some things to pray for as we move into our future. This is a journey we're on to experience new life. Today, though, I want to talk about the gift of confession. Richard Foster is a church leader, has written a lot on uh, spiritual disciplines before. And Richard Foster hit this point in his ministry where he just said, like, hey, he was struggling to feel the flow of God in his, in his ministry. It was like there was this wall that had been set up. So he decided to go back to some of the things he had learned about the power of confession. So he decided what he was going to do is he's going to take three days where he was going to do some deep reflection and examination. And day one, he was going to look and reflect on the events that formed him in his childhood. On day two, he was going to look at the events that formed and shaped him as an adolescent. And on day three, he was going to look at the events that formed and shaped him as an adult. And each day he was going to journal and write out these events and write out the things that, where he needed healing in his life from any one of those three places. And then at the end of each day, he went to a friend, handed the friend the sheet of paper with all these events and all the places in his life where he needed healing. And the friend, his only response, here's what the friend did. The friend listened without saying anything. The friend listened. The friend ripped up the sheet of paper at the end of each day. And the friend reached out a hand and prayed a prayer of healing over him. And this is the rhythm of three days. And at the end of three days, Richard Foster said that this was the catalyst of freedom that he needed. That propelled him throughout the rest of his life of ministry. And propelled him to write the books he ended up writing on spiritual disciplines. Which started with this three day period of taking confession really seriously. 
I share it with you every year because it's, a, it's a, an important part of my journey. But the power of confession in my own life. When I was 16, my sister was 19. That she convinced me to have a, a brief a, a night where we were going to confess stuff to mom and dad. There was some sin and brokenness in our lives. And not that we want to rank sin. But there were some sins my sister and I had committed that they were going to have some consequences on us. And... and and so she, she convinced me to sit with mom and dad. And I wish today I could sit with my sister and process, like, why she wanted to do this. And what led her to believe in the power of confession, that she would want to go sit with mom and dad and confess some of our wrongdoings. Because 16-year-olds and 19-year-olds and however old you are, if your mom and dads are still alive, like, we don't want to confess sins to mommy and daddy. We don't want them to know. But she, she talked me into it. So we did. And this moment of healing that came as my mother ran out of the room, grabbed her Bible, came back in the room and just started like wrapping us in the mercy of God. She just read psalm after psalm after psalm of God's forgiveness and what God does with our sin and how God came to, to, to help lead us in a new life. And my mother was just washing us with the word of God and the truth of God. And, and it taught me at a time of my life where now I can often go back to that age of 16 when I was in that room and when I experienced the power of confession and how confession can be wrapped in the mercy of God. So today, if you were to ask me, What's the most important spiritual discipline in your life over the last year that has kept you connected to God? My answer for the last 12 months of my life would be three. Gratitude, repentance, and my heart cry. That's what I call it, just a heart cry. And this is the best, longest I've journaled in my life. I'm probably like a lot of you. I make commitments to journal and then I go get me a brand new journal in January thinking if I have a brand new one and it smells new, it's going to be the one that's going to lead me through a long season of journaling. And then by like week two, I only have like three entries. But then the next year, I give me a new journal thinking the new journal is what's going to happen. This is going to do it. And I, I've been able to journal every, almost every night. What I journal is I take time to write three things I'm grateful for. I take time to repent of something in my life. And I repent and confess believing it's wrapped in the mercy of God. And I write out a sentence of today, this is the cry of my heart to God. This is my heart cry. And I'm able to go back through and look at them and see how God's been moving in my life and how these things have connected me to the heart of God. The gift of confession was God's idea to help turn our hearts back to God, to get us reconnected, to be, being reconciled to God. So what I want to do for the next couple of moments is I want to show you in the New Testament, if you went and did a word study of the word confession, you're going to have a few dozen times in the New Testament when confess or confession or some form of that word is going to show up. But here's the thing. There are two different Greek words for confess that show up in your English Bible as the one word, confess. And there's a difference between the two. So let me help walk you through the two of these because I think this is really powerful and I think it will help some of these places in the Bible come to life for you. There's this one word confess, which is homologeo. And it's this expression or statement of allegiance as an action. And we've done this a lot. We did it just a few weeks ago. We're on the tables right now on our prayer tables. It's what, what they have. And you can take these home and put these in your wallet. Hang them on a mirror where it says Jesus is Lord and blank is not. This is a statement. This is a, I am confessing that Jesus is the Lord of my life. 
life. And, and, and sometimes I take a practice where I'll come in this room and I just, okay, God, for the next few moments, I'm not asking for anything. I just want to confess. Here's my allegiance and here's why I believe in you. And this is who you are. And let me show you just four places where this shows up. This word right here, omologeo. In 2 Corinthians 9, 13, it says this, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. This isn't about confessing sins right here. This is I'm confessing. I'm making a statement of allegiance. And there's going to be action behind this statement of allegiance that I make. And for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest, of our confession a confession that Jesus is the apostle the high priest the mediator in Hebrews 4 14 it says since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast to our confession our statement of allegiance that has actions that come behind that in 1 Timothy 6 12 through 13 when I visited my sister's grave over the holidays in Texas and I went and I looked at it it took me a while to find her grave but as I walk through the cemetery, this is a verse that shows up on a lot of tombstones. First, First Timothy 6, 12 and 13. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession. This right here isn't the word that talks about confessing sins or wrongdoings. It's about an allegiance that has actions that follow it. But then there's this other word. Now, the confession of allegiance, that word shows up more than this other one in the New Testament. Sometimes when you think confess, you think repentance. You think, you think uh, confessing sin. The one that shows up more in the New Testament than anything else is a confession of, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. No one else is. But this word does show up. And it's a word, exomologeo. And let me just show you a few times. This is... This is an omission of wrongdoing. This is when we say, it was me. I did it. Uh, <laughs> there was one day, we'd only been here a few years, where Casey had parked over here. And we got home and she said, you won't believe what happened. I was trying to get the car seat in the car. And as I did, I, I opened the door and I, I hit the door next to me. And it has a ding in it. And I didn't know who it was. So I just left. But now I feel guilty. And I need to tell whoever it was that I'm the one that did it. I was like, well, explain the car to me. Which one was it? So Casey explained the car, and I was like, Casey, that is Deborah Forsythe's car. Deborah passed away a couple of years ago. Deborah was our travel agent. She's the one that would find like really good deals for us to go travel places. And I was like, of all cars you could hit in the parking lot, that's the one? I said, it's Deborah's car. And, and, and next thing I know, Casey's on the phone to Deborah. She's like, Deborah, there's a ding on your car. It was me. I'm the one that did it. I'll pay for it, whatever you want. And Deborah, in sweet Deborah fashion, just like Casey, it's a ding. We're going to be okay. We're going to be friends. We're going to make it. Now, for you, it's probably a lot more than a ding in a car, the things you've had to confess in your life or the things that even God may bubble up when you think about the power of confession and admission of guilt and admission of wrongdoing. It's that I, I did this. I did something wrong. In Matthew 3, 5 and 6, it says, then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him on all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him, by John the Baptist, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. 
In Acts 19, 17, where you begin to see this revival happening in the city of Ephesus. It says, when this became known to all residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, everyone was awestruck. And the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Also, many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices. And in James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. And the prayer of the righteous is powerful and it's effective. These two words that come to us. One about confessing of allegiance. Telling God how great he is. Why it is you're swearing allegiance to him today. And another one that does more for us. Than just ending your day by saying. God today forgive me for my many sins. This is a word that says hey. As we're wrapped in the mercy of God, it's good for your heart to take time to name the things that are keeping you from God. Not just, God, forgive me for my many sins, even though God knows them. But God, let me, let me speak out loud the things in my life that have got to change. These don't, these don't align with who you are. So, I want to encourage you this week. There's a confession of allegiance, and there's a confession of turning. And a confession of allegiance, a confession of turning. And some of you have other spiritual disciplines in your life and things you're honoring right now, and that's great. Let me encourage you, this week, will you take two minutes a day with each one of these? A confession of allegiance, of taking time every day where you're just going to set a timer for two minutes. And for two minutes, what you're going to do is you're going to make confession of allegiance to God. God, this is who you are. This is who I believe you to be in my life. And to take two minutes as you're wrapped in the mercy of God to allow God to reveal some things in your life where there needs to be a turn. God, this week I need to name out loud my, and just fill in the blank, my anger needs to, needs to turn. My pride, my greed, my lust. God, these things in my life where there, there's just got to be a turn to God. So I want to ask now for the elders and for prayer leaders, if you will, go around this room to receive people for prayer. Up front, our elders, who have, there'll be two of them up here who are here to receive you. If there's anything that you have in your life that you want to go public with, uh, that we could pray for, or if there is someone in this room who, through what you have heard or how you've encountered God today, that you want to surrender your life to Jesus in baptism, we invite you to come forward to meet with one of our leaders. And there are other prayer leaders around this room who are there to receive you for prayer, for blessing, for anointing. Whatever it is they can be for you, they are here. And we're going to stand and Kip and I spent time on how we wanted this, this message to end today. And we wanted to end this message by singing what may be the most famous hymn ever written. Amazing Grace. As we were reminded today that when we confess, this isn't God sending us into a place of guilt or shame. It is God wrapping us in his mercy and grace because God wants to get us to a healthier place. So let's stand together. Let's sing this as a confession.